You're listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 3800 Marlton Pike. For more information, check out circleofhope.net. When I was eight years old, my family moved from Southern California to the Antietam Creek watershed in central Pennsylvania, Franklin County, a town called Waynesboro. And I was born in those brown Southern California hills. Only thing that's green is because the water had been piped hundreds of miles to be there. And to move to this green place where the creeks were like the rivers from back home and everything was so wet and alive was a real culture shock, a real transformation. I had really moved to a new place and I recognized it even as a a little eight-year-old. It was just really amazing. The first house that we lived in had this slab porch that we would go out on and it'd be covered so we'd be covered, we'd be safe from the rain when the lightning storms happened. I had never seen lightning. If you if you the group up here on the East Coast, that, that sounds crazy, but I had I had never seen lightning like flash across the sky in, in a brilliance. The, the rain that we had in Southern California came from up the valley. You could see it coming just like a wall. And occasionally, if the, if the atmosphere was right, uh, there would be some heat lightning, some red glowing on the horizon. That's it. Never the violence of an actual lightning storm. That requires, like, change. And Southern California is so steady that the atmospheric pressure never has enough of a fight to, or, you know, I don't know enough of the meteorology, but there's never enough uh, of, a, of, a, of a conflict to create um, a lightning storm like we have in central Pennsylvania and occasionally here in Philadelphia. I think it might be even more brilliant out there in the, in the, in the hinterlands of central PA, I'm not sure, but maybe it's just that you have a better view. Another thing that happened right off of that slab porch on the on Fairview Avenue in Waynesboro, Pennsylvania, was I saw snow falling for the first time. I had seen the evidence of snow in the San Bernardino Mountains. We would go up there and go sledding in, in, in heavy snow, but we had never been up there when it was snowing. So when I saw snow falling for the first time, and it was really no real snow, it was just a flurry shower, on some November day, we danced in it like it was a whole new place. A whole new world was happening. This is snow. As it gathered in my hair, I remember my brother's face as if it were my own. Just so excited. We were all out there in the front yard. And people driving by, I'm sure, were like, what is going on in that (laughs) yard? It's just a flurry. Life in the spirit is like moving into that new environment. And that's what I want to talk about for a few weeks is what does it feel like to live in this new place where the resurrection happened and where God is sending God's spirit in among us? A new, a, a new environment with different phenomenon. We want to describe the, the contours and the climate of this new land we find ourselves in so that we can appreciate it and dance in it, and even participate in spreading it. We're headed towards Pentecost, which is on May 20th. And when we remember how the Holy Spirit made this life in the Spirit possible, 
for the first time. That's what happens on Pentecost, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible story in Acts 2. We'll, we'll get to that in full force by the end of the month. We want to know what we are looking for. What does life in the Spirit look like? What do people who live in this new environment do that is different? And there are lots of things to say about that, but today I want to talk about forgiveness. Have you seen these billboards? The 855 Truth billboards? I saw this one first and I was like, yes! Finally, a real thing. Real, real Christians forgive. I, I thought that was good. But then I saw this one. And I was like, oh man, Because <laughs> like why why are like why does all the money in Christianity go towards anti-evolution, culture war things where we're gonna have some fight about something that doesn't really matter? I want to talk about forgiving. That actually matters. Like that actually changes the world. If real, if Christians were actually real and they forgave in in radical ways like Jesus did, I think the world would be better. So I'll, I'll leave that one up there for a minute. That one should get some play, even though I went to the website uh, gospelbillboards.org and found all kinds of very instructive you know, supposedly useful tools. And some of them, you know, they weren't terrible. I, I can't I can't condemn the whole website, you know, because they, they were doing some interesting things that were true. But real Christians do forgive like Jesus. That I can go with. Though, forgiving like Jesus is a really tall order, and it's kind of nuanced what that means. But, but really, what Jesus does is he forgives the people who are crucifying him while he's being crucified. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Okay, if that's the forgiveness that we're living into, this really is new territory. What if we aspire to forgive like that? If we did that, we really would be distinct people. That would be a new country indeed. And I want to live there. I do. I want to live in a world of wonder where we're making things actually new every day and like forgiveness is falling like flurries and we're all dancing in it. That's a beautiful vision. Forgiveness is a creative act, y'all. It's like we're making lightning storms and snow flurries from scratch. Can you get into this? Think about it. When I say I forgive you, I'm inventing a new reality. One in which the sin you have committed against me is no longer between us. How did I do this? How, how did I create this new reality? All I did was I said I forgive you and then I invited you to walk out through that door with me into the new reality. It's a place that we can now live where that sin doesn't exist. We threw it out together. If you, if you, if you actually are repentant with me, and I'm able to forgive you, this new thing is happening. Let me put it even more provocatively. Every word of forgiveness is a lie. Until we make it true. We are literally making something up when we say, I forgive you. Sometimes what we mean or do when we say, I forgive you, is I'm ready to forget what you've done to me. I'm ready to ignore the thing you did. I'm ready to maybe even ignore you. 
And when we do that, forgiveness is just the, the dissipation of an intense feeling caused by an offense. But the spirit-led forgiveness that I'm trying to describe is a new reality we create in the middle of that bad feeling to destroy that which is separating us from one another. It can be powerful to change a situation, not just incidental to an already happening emotional process. So let's look at a parable of Jesus that, that Jesus told in Matthew 18 to help us get the lay of this land. When, when Jesus is ter- telling a parable, he's, he's doing the same sort of creative act that I'm trying to describe. He's painting us a landscape for, for us to walk around in. You might be tempted, and I know I often am, to, to just jump to the moral of the story. And this one has one for sure, the one I'm about to tell you. But don't go there too soon. As someone is going to read this to us on the screen, walk around in the image. See yourself in it. You probably weren't in an exact scenario like this ever in your life. Very few of us have relationships with actual kings. But you have been forgiven, and you have found difficulty in forgiving. We all have. So this is for you. And to really inhabit this space, I think you need one piece of information before whoever's going to read this reads it. Uh, The sums in this story, 10,000 talents at a a working wage in that time would take a laborer about 200,000 years to pay off. Okay? So it's an absurd amount of money that, that is going to be forgiven in this. And... The 100 denarii, uh, that is another sum in here, it's like one day's wages. All right? That's an important thing to know for you to inhabit this story. Will someone read it to us? For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. As he could not pay, his lord ordered him to be sold together with his wife and children and all his possessions, and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, Pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their lord all that had taken place. Then his lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger his lord handed him over to be tortured until he should pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. <laughs> so let's, let's walk around in that for a minute. How absurd is it that the man or a woman um, who has this incredible debt says, I'll pay you back. Just, just give me time. Like they're, 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 they're kind of trapped in an alternate reality. That's like a bizarro world thing to say. Yeah, let me pay you. 
Yeah, right. The only thing the king can do is have pity. This is a ridiculous amount of money. It's kind of comical. It's like, look at this guy who thinks he's going to, he's so stuck in this reality that he thinks he's going to be able to pay this back. But it's impossible. It's impossible to pay it back. I also want to acknowledge here in the uh, NRSV, it uses a, probably the best translation of this Greek word slave. Uh, sometimes it gets softened up to servant in the English language. But I put it up there as slave. But I have to acknowledge, reading this in uh, the United States, that with, after you know centuries of racialized chattel slavery, slave means something different to us. You know, I just have to acknowledge that. That um, it's 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 something different, and not, it wasn't anything good in the first century. But I have to acknowledge that when we're when we're using that word. This parable, though, as Jesus says at the beginning. Um, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to this. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's not meant to be an individual moral teaching. It's designed. It's designed to show us this is what it's like. This is the this is the world I want us to live in. Not not just correct action. He knows this is a difficult teaching, and it will be hard for us to to you know just gut it out and do the right thing. That's not, that's not what the first thing that Jesus is trying to do. I don't think looking at this from an individual moral perspective is very helpful at all. Instead, let's look at the new environment that Jesus creates with his 200,000 years of wages of forgiveness as its first act. We jump right to the, that guy did the wrong thing. If you've ever read this parable, I'm sure you've thought about it that way. Oh, snap, I gotta forgive. I gotta, I, gotta, I gotta do the right thing. But let, let's not rush past the, the fact that Jesus is saying the kingdom of God has a king that forgives impossible debts and invites us to live into it. The pity that the king has on the man who is so stuck in his honor and personal capacity that he believes he'll be able to pay back this impossible debt, you know, that pity is like a lightning storm or a snow flurry. You know, it's really radically different. It's something totally new that, that this would be forgiven, that, that the king would have pity instead of just killing his enemy. Instead of just saying, I'm done with you. I, I have to maintain my respect. If, if I don't get you to pay me back, if I don't kill you or sell your family, then, you know, all of my debtors are not going to pay. The king isn't concerned with that. <laughs> the king is not concerned with his honor or the future, the king is just moved in, in, in his heart to forgive this impossible debt, even though the guy doesn't get it. The way that he the way that he he he, he convinces the king to forgive the debt is by demonstrating his uh, lack of ability to comprehend such forgiveness. Oh man, you're really stuck. I have pity on you. You are really believing the lie that you have to hold this all up by yourself. And so we are adapting to life in the spirit, that new environment where the first act is this impossible debt being forgiven. So when we created Circle of Hope, we said that it was a new environment in which people can know God and act for redemption. It's an environment that we're creating. It's a kingdom of God that we're, we're making. Because I, I, here's the thing, I don't think we're very good at choosing 
This is the big lie in, in American individualism. We think we're good at choosing, and we think most of our moral decisions are our own. But they're really not. They're so much more complicated than that. To decide where the line of responsibility is drawn is almost impossible if you're having any kind of uh, generous thinking about anyone. You could have very ungenerous thinking and say, you did it, you, you're bad, punish it. That's, what, that's, that's kind of the basics. That's the reality that the man who was forgiven the impossible debt is living in. And, and we're kind of stuck in that reality too. So Jesus has pity on us and shows us a new way. A life in the Spirit enables us to actually believe that there's another way. That the scales don't have to be balanced. That Jesus, the king in this parable, isn't just, you know, solving the problem with his impossibly big God thumb, you know, getting the scales right with his power. No, he's throwing out the scales. Scales, scales don't matter at all. He's creating a new world in which there's a new way of being for all who live there. And here's the thing, we live there. That's where we live, y'all. That's what life in the Spirit is like. We live in the world where that debt has been forgiven and the scales have been thrown out. So recognizing how we are, um, we strive to, to create an environment where it's easier to choose this new world. We need an environment where people can know God and act for redemption because we're not good at choosing. We need to have that decision uh, being collectively reinforced. To have this reality of, of impossible debts being forgiven uh, shown to us on the daily. No, this is where we live. Don't go back to those brown hills. Live here where it's so beautiful. Live where the lightning flashes and the snow falls, where things change and there's new life. Yes, I'm saying the eastern United States is just like heaven, but go with me. That's my metaphor. The Spirit is enabling us to do this necessary miracle. Because our, the, the means of creating an environment actually creates the, the, the possibility to practice. Because we're going, if we're going to be a community, an environment where people can, can live into that new reality, we're going to need forgiveness because we are who we are and so the the chosen means for demonstrating to us who we are and where we are requires forgiveness community without forgiveness only works where people are being superficial and we're making a circle of hope as much like that new country as possible it's an alternative to the scales we are an alternative to doing, to doling out and demanding our rights. What's fair is not fair. We get real by getting face to face, especially in cells, which are circles of 10 that meet in more intimate settings than this meeting. We get next to each other and, and, and deal with all the problems that being next to each other creates. We irritate each other, we disagree, we owe each other money. We sin against one another and then practice the way of our people. We practice the way of forgiveness. And in my, my experience, that just basic practice 
is the only way to embrace the 200,000 years salary-sized forgiveness of the kingdom of heaven. But what about this at the end of the parable where the king throws the wicked slave into prison to be tortured? What about that? says, then his Lord summoned him and said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And his, in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he should pay his entire debt. What, based on what I was saying before, doesn't that sound like he's going to be like tortured forever? <laughs> like it's an impossible debt to repay? How, how, and how could he pay it back? while he's in prison. Do you know that that's how prison works now too, by the way? That you you accrue debt in the adjudication process and they actually collect interest while you're in prison on the debt that, that they have. They charge you like fees, like a community fee to help, you know, like this is the retribution. It has a fee to it. But then they charge you interest while you're in prison. So this is like, this is still a reality. That this is how we do things. But is, is that what the king here in this parable is doing? I think that the one-to-one analogy breaks down. Uh, but Jesus does kind of sound threatening here at the end, doesn't he? He says, so my heavenly father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. It's a little scary. It doesn't sound like the country I want to live in. Exactly. It's not. This man has refused to live in the new country. This man wants to balance the scales. He wants to get every last cent out of his fellow slave. This person got welcomed into a new environment by the forgiveness of an impossible debt and refused to live there. He saw the amazing lightning storm. He had the flurries in his hair, and he was like, nah, I don't want that. He received this impossible gift of forgiveness and didn't change. It didn't change him. And here's the thing. I don't think any of y'all are like that. I mean, maybe it gets a little abstract sometimes where you can't really figure out how, how, uh, you could receive such an impossible forgiveness. But when you, re- when you have received forgiveness, which Matt is going to get us to reflect on during worship, it, it, it impacts you. Your, your, your heart is not so hard as this man. Especially, this, it's, it's kind of like a comical example of how tightly a ridiculous person can close their eyes. And if there is such a person in the world, I don't know, maybe there's not much much for them than to be tortured. <clears throat> if they refuse the gift so thoroughly, if they have so believed the lie that they must balance the scales, maybe they can't receive that forgiveness until, or give forgiveness until they have uh, repented of that other world. That, they, that they're holding on to. If they could believe in themselves so much to think that they can live in community and not offend anyone or sin against them, or perhaps that they could 
they could not live in community, that they could achieve perfect isolation and autonomy. I think that there are people out in the world that are trying to do that. If such a person exists, how could God get to them? How would they be transformed? I, I, I suppose that Jesus is saying that there, in that scenario, suffering might be the only way to get out of that terrible place that they've painted themselves into. If you're so stuck, maybe that is what you need. If you refuse to live in the new environment, God won't make you. And that will be terrible. Think about this. Have you ever said, I forgive you, and it was an insult? Have you ever, have you ever said it? Like, maybe you meant it, like, kind of nasty. Or maybe it was received that way. I think this happens. It certainly happened to me. Sometimes in an interaction where there seems to be no love, forgiveness can be a weapon. Don't forgive me. I did nothing wrong. Forgiveness could get like pigeonholed into an adjudication of, of guilt. Like, you, I'm not going to be forgiven. You can't forgive me. I didn't violate anything. Because we're forgiving the sin. We're, we're adjudicating the problem. We're righting and wronging the situation. That's what forgiveness often gets reduced down to. But what forgiveness really is, is what Jesus is describing it as. It's this impossible new act of creation that doesn't make any sense at all. I'm not saying that that, that kind of um, figuring it out isn't sometimes useful to talk about it in those terms, but when when we're forgiving someone from our heart, we're loving, it, it's, forgiveness is love inactive. Forgiveness is what what love does in conflict. We're forgiving the person. We're, we're, we're readmitting them into our life. We're, we're accepting our togetherness and not allowing the separation of the sin to, to even exist. It's the, it's the sin that gets forgiven. It, it's not the sin that gets like adjudicated and, and decided who's right and wrong. It's the, the love that gets remade. So, let me conclude. Good news. The kingdom of heaven is near. We live in a new environment that is very different from the one we came from. It is marked by impossible forgiveness. And we are invited into the flow that comes out of that forgiveness. The scales have been thrown out, and we can live from a new perspective. Jesus gives us a very concrete way to practice that new reality, to forgive. And we've organized ourselves in Circle of Hope to make it a group project. We don't just have to muster the power to choose forgiveness on our own. We can do it together and celebrate the beauty of that new environment that we've been given. Let me pray, and then you can talk back. Holy Spirit, love divine, cast out our fear. Help us to forgive. Help us to walk into that new reality founded on your impossible forgiveness and enacted in the tiny forgiveness that, that we offer to one another. 
that expands us and expands your kingdom and shows the world who you are and invites the world into what we are trying to be. Bless us in those efforts. Give us big love. We need it so that we can forgive and be forgiven. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Donna. It's like for me to imagine this here. Like if I say something that offends Bryce, um, we have enough of a relationship built in love that we can he'll approach me and tell me about it and we'll work it out. And hopefully he'll forgive me. But in bigger parts of our lives, like when there's murder or abuse or destruction where there's no love for the person who's causing it, or maybe there isn't any more. How, like, where's, where's the capacity to forgive there? You don't want that person to necessarily re-enter your life. You know what I mean? Like, you were describing it as, like, when we forgive, then we, you know, can be to live together again. And in community here, that makes sense. But outside of here, maybe not. And I'm, so I'm just wondering if that applies. The thing that made sense to me is in the bottom of that scripture, the phrase have mercy was used a couple times. So I was thinking maybe have mercy on that person more, made more sense to me than forgiving. I, I think that's a, a very interesting distinction. Uh, but before I answer, maybe someone else wants to re- respond to it. I don't have to have the answer. I, mean, I was thinking about this today. And just the idea, I, I mean, I think you can, you can exit a uh, relationship with love like I think that can still like I, I've been in this relationship before and um, I've forgiven that person but um, I probably didn't exit with, with love I've kind of forgiven after I really probably you know hurt her back on the way out and you know some some hurt can be avoided The thing that comes to mind for me, I think the the key to what you were talking about is there's no love. And so the first step toward, I I still think our goal is forgiveness. I don't know if we'll achieve it. Um, I don't know if we'll want to do it, but I, but I won't, I won't like come up with another trajectory. I I think I might just submit to being in a, a state of unforgiveness and say, Jesus, you'll have to, you'll have to forgive me. I can't do it. Um, but I, but I'm thinking like in a bigger scenario, uh, creating a path towards love, towards relationship is, uh, can, is a formalized process that Christians have, have really worked on. The, the, the best example in history might be the truth and reconciliation commissions in South Africa, where the church helped organize places for offenders and 
uh, victims to face each other and talk. Um, or MCC, our Relief and Development Organization, uh, does a lot of work in uh, Canada working on um, uh, a different kind of justice where they're, they're, the offenders and victims even are formally in the judicial system are having this kind of redemptive, reconciliatory process as opposed to a punitive, uh, uh, you know, incarceration process. Uh, so there's, there's all, there are alternatives, even in these, like, terrible circumstances that, uh, yeah, they just, they, they might be better. <laughs> you know, we, we haven't tried them. Like, it, like, our imagination for, you know, like, a, a, a violent situation um, what's going to be better for the victim, you know, punishment and separation forever. Um, possibly that's the best we can do, but we, I don't think we have much of an imagination for what else we might do. And there are people experimenting with this in the world and in history. And I'm interested in pursuing that. Marcus. So like the pity doesn't seem like I think that's the source of the of, of the king's forgiveness is the pity. Like it's that that's what motivates the king to forgive the debt is that he feels bad for this person. Yeah, it's interesting because um, about a year ago there was a uh, uh, National Geographic, but they were documenting. I believe the state was Mississippi or Tennessee. Um, uh, one of the last states that um, basically they they were following families and prisoners that were on death row, and it was really fascinating to me because they documented the experiences of the families that had to face the person that committed a horrendous crime against someone they loved or a friend. And, and the reason why this you know, pity came out to me was because, you know, in, in a sense, it's like you see you know, these people, <laughs> some, some, some men that are on death row that have been rehabilitated, some that have not. And I think that that sense of pity is a source of, you know, the, the families that have to be confronted after saying, like, you know, this is going to happen to you. And, you know, I I have to, you know, in, in whatever way I can forgive, having pity for the fact that, you know, you are in this situation is where it has to start. And so I just think it's just that part of it's really fascinating to me. Yeah, that's the that's the love that that Donna was talking about that doesn't exist. You know, if there's if there's really just such a separation between two two people that they can't, neither of them is going to connect on that level, then the path to reconciliation is pretty closed. Uh, let's go with Nancy. Um, what Don was saying about somebody being inside and outside of the community and them not having a relationship, so that I can, for, you know, that I know their story and I can forgive and understand why they did that thing, I think it's a really important thing to think about. So 
we have this community circle of hope, but most all of us have deep relationships with people outside of our community. And so I feel like it's, we have kind of this, this waves of, of compassion and forgiveness and understanding that go outside of our community. And we think that this person who we have no connection to hurt us, and so we are unable to understand their story, but somehow our story connects with their story. And so what they did that was wrong or hurtful or something was created in this context that is connected to me. So we kind of have to accept that and if we If we believe that and trust it, we can go and find it. And we have to yeah. have faith in God that as our community and we develop our relationships and everything, our waves of forgiveness and compassion will eventually get to those communities that don't seem connected to us. That's the hope. Yeah, Lauren, you had something? Yeah. That, you know, um, and so I think, at least in my experience, some part of um, healthy and continual sustainable forgiveness has to be boundaries. Yeah, Bryce. To, to all that, uh, the way I was thinking about this was um, that, yeah, there's there might be some line between those in the community and those outside the community, but kind of the hope is that everybody can get into the community so that we can have the compassion and care and mutuality with all of the folks who think about forgive, who wouldn't consider forgiveness or who would think about things a different way. And one of the ways that they recognize the difference of our community is, you know, Jesus' words, going with them the extra mile, or if somebody asks you for the coat off your back, you give them the other coat also but to Lauren's point uh, I only have so many coats so and, and I, I can only walk so many miles in a certain direction before I got to like go back to my family or something so like yeah but they won't see that this is a forgiving community if we think that there's like different rules for them than there are for people who are in the community so I think going with them the extra mile or giving them the, the second coat at least demonstrates to them, like, oh, there might be another way, and I'm going to give you that opportunity, but it's not eternal, because I'm not an eternal, um, my, my capacity presently is not an eternal capacity for all things in every way. Mm-hmm. I am a being in skin, so. Yeah. And and the Spirit enables us to do this this hard thing and, and helps us discern how far we ought to go. When we, and we're, this is a, a group project, you know, like, how... Where does this boundary need to be with this person that's destroying me? You know, it's not immediately self-protection. That that's our idea. It's not. We're not. The only law is not self-protection, and we might be able to receive some 
some damages with the by the power of the spirit with the help of our community. But where, yeah, where where does this line get drawn? Is something we discern together, and the Holy Spirit actually speaks to us. What should I do? And we can ask. Um, you might get you might you might even have a sense of the Spirit that allows you to just completely avoid a person. I'm not even going to get in. Like, no. <laughs> like, and that could actually be from the Spirit. Like, we're not even going to start a relationship. You could, you could just be avoid. I, the Spirit could be saving you to love someone else because we are limited. <laughs> so that, that's, a, that's an alive and active element as well, is that we don't know all the answers. And if we try to figure it out based on a principle, we'll be wrong because every situation is different. Um, but, but we have this aspiration. We have this new environment in which um, God is calling us to. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.